Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. Coming up next is a word by Professor Douglas Peterson. Lord bless you. It is just wonderful to be with you tonight. Please sit down. We have so looked forward to it. I'm glad you had an opportunity to meet Myrna. We met as teenagers, young teenagers. And uh, in November, we complete 53 years of marriage. I say that. (laughs) So we're coming through the hotel lobby, waiting to get picked up. And Myrna says to me, she never says this. She says, I'm so nervous for you. She says, you know, you haven't preached in two and a half years, and maybe you're getting too old. Your memory isn't as good. We'll see. It is just wonderful. A couple years ago, a friend, a wonderful friend, my colleague at Vanguard, gave me a call. His name's John Sim, and he's from Singapore. And he called me, and he said, Doug, I'd like you to meet a friend of mine, Kong He. He wants to study with Dr. Frank Machia, who is a renowned theologian, one of my colleagues. And so that started a friendship. And we've had classes together, but far beyond that, we have built this friendship where we have met countless times over Zoom, talk about everything. Friends are one of the treasures of life. And for that, I am so grateful. And you know, Zoom is like the great equalizer. Because um, I had no idea that Pastor Kong was tall. (laughs) And he had no idea I wasn't. Zoom, is that's where it's really great. You can just... You know, I don't think we have ever been treated any better than we have since we have been here um, in all our years in ministry. For that, we're so grateful. I, I've visited some of the most wonderful social projects, which is really the things that touch the heart of the Lord. When we reach out to those who are poor, the stranger, the alien, the widow, the senior, the child, we touch the heart of the Lord. And um, I have been very moved by seeing what your church is doing. Let me um, just say a few words to put my, what I want to say into perspective, into context. I'm actually... Pastor asked me to tell stories. So, like any preacher, I'm just going to hang some biblical stuff around it and tell stories. <laughs> Pentecostals believe that God's miraculous actions that read, read in the Bible are continuous and normative. We believe that we've been empowered by the Spirit to do everything Jesus said and did. We believe that we have 
access to power. We believe that virtually anyone who follows the Lord and has the power of the Spirit in them has access and God uses the simplest, the one talent, the ten talent. We believe that there are two experiences that are foundational for us as Pentecostals. Salvation, spirit baptism. There isn't anything as powerful as a spiritual experience. Just think about that. There isn't anything. Maybe love, but probably not. If you think, we organize our lives around a spiritual experience. We don't organize our lives around anything else. Everything we do, what we thought about this morning. We've talked to God today, how we conduct our lives, how we spend our money. Everything is built around and organized by a spiritual experience. Before COVID, some friends took us to a concert with uh, a famous singer, Neil Diamond, which says something about my age. We had these great seats. We were right in the front. And around us were these senior citizens. We didn't think of ourselves in that category. But, and they were women. They were going bonkers over Neil Diamond. They wanted to get up close and see if they could touch him. And it was like comedy. It was way better than the concert. But I thought to myself on the way home, as excited as they were, they may buy a few CDs, they may listen a little more to the music, but they're not going to organize their life around any of this. We organize our life around this spiritual experience of salvation that marks that entry that we have into the community of faith. We organize our lives by spirit baptism. In the New Testament, this is like the second work of the Spirit. And it's usually followed by tongues, miracles, healings, prophecies. We get all that. What I want to focus on are the things that sometimes we miss that are equally powerful. The way that God uses the insignificant, the ordinary person, to do things that are just amazing, that just escapes us. The smallest thing can change someone's life in a moment, forever. So, some structure. God intervenes in the routine of daily life. He doesn't change the routine. We are the same people. It's not like we get so holy because God is intervening that we're different. We're the same. We have good times, we have bad times, but God intervenes. He is always at work. 
God uses ordinary people to do ordinary things from which he does something extraordinary. He does something new, something unexpected, something impossible. And we can't figure it out. We have no way to understand God's methods. Why God did this, why he didn't do that. How does this work? God's sovereign, we're not. And as much as we'd like to know, and sometimes God's gracious, but most times he's under no obligation to explain it to us. We just need to learn to trust. So a couple of these really simple things. Divine guidance. That is when something comes into your mind and you can't get it out. If you trust the Lord, whatever it is, do it. I don't try to get real spiritual about it. If I keep thinking about something and it's kind, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to tell people, oh, God told me. I'm not that confident. And I'm not going to blame God for something that he may not want to own. But I'm going to do it. It's amazing how often that is the leading of the Lord. It's just a little thing. The defining moment of my life is because a very ordinary person on an ordinary Saturday did something that to him at the time had to appear insignificant. But what a difference it made for my family. My parents were immigrants. We were farmers, we were Canadians. Poor. My parents had grade eight, humble. They were in their 40s. I was a little boy. They didn't know the Lord. My mother could never remember a single time she had ever been to church, except for a wedding or a funeral. It was a Saturday, and farmers go to town on Saturday. It was one of these little towns with just uh, one main street. And as my dad was backing out to go home, a man knocked on the window of their car. My dad rolled down the window, and the man introduced himself. He said, I'm a new pastor in town. We're starting a church. I'd like to invite you to come. You'd have to know my parents. They didn't go anywhere. My parents are quiet, shy, reserved. My dad struggled with English. They didn't go anywhere. Only the spirit, they went. My dad got saved Monday night. My mother got saved Tuesday night. And from that day, the Petersons were at church. Every time the doors opened. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Friday night, and if there's anything special, we were always there. 
I look back at this pastor who I'm sure he didn't even think about it for more than 10 seconds. He went, knocked on the window of the car. As far as, he was our pastor for, I think, 12 years. And I might be wrong, but I don't think so. I think my parents were the only converts in those 12 years. By the way, we measure success, not successful. Unless you see it through my lens. For my life, the life of my kids, my grandkids, and everybody that maybe my life can touch. A pastor, something insignificant. You know, God loves us so much that he'll use one of us and stick us in somebody's way. He may have us there for a long time. I'm a competitor and a doer. I don't even like that idea that, Lord, you're just going to have me sit until the right moment. But that's how God works. And then... Something happens, and God never works on our timetable. Sometimes we can see the immediate results. Sometimes we don't see them at all. We have to wait till we get to heaven. And sometimes we have to look back, and we see those times when God intervened because somebody was sensitive to the guiding of the Lord. More powerful than a miracle. More powerful than a healing. Lasts longer, is more significant, makes a bigger difference. Any of us can do it. Another. Divine coincidence. A coincidence. When two similar things happen that seem related, but they're not. Or a divine one. When two things happen that seem related, and they are. And the scripture is filled with these moments of where God takes something absolutely ordinary and turns it into something that's life-changing. As Paul was praying, or as Peter was praying, the men arrived at his gate. Not a coincidence. Here's one. In the Old Testament, we have the story of Jacob sending Joseph to look for his brothers. This is one of the stories that you have to wait to heaven to figure it out at all. Jacob had sent his older sons, who didn't like Joseph, 50 miles away to pasture the cattle or the sheep. And so some time went by, and he says to Joseph, who is young, middle teenager maybe, says, go to Shechem, find your brothers, and find out how they're doing, bring me back a report. I'm not sure what Jacob was thinking, this is not going to turn out well. But the chances of Jake, 
of Joseph finding his brothers 50 miles away are like between zero and none, which is what happened. He gets there, and Scripture says he's wandering in a field. As he's wandering in a field, he can't find his brothers because they're not there. But there is a person, a man in the field. Scripture doesn't name him. He's the unknown man. Joseph says to him, have you seen my brothers? The man said, yes. Joseph said, well, where did they go? He said, I heard them saying they were going to Dothan, which is like 15 miles away. Joseph heads off to Dothan, finds his brothers, and just a series of bad things after that. God didn't need to use the treachery of Joseph's brothers to bring about his plan. But he brings good out of bad, and this coincidence, this man in the field, do you realize that if Joseph, if the man wouldn't have been there, Joseph would have gone back home? Nothing would have happened. Thirteen years later, Joseph is in power in Egypt. He can minister to his family who's going through an unbelievable famine, bring them back together. But more important, his brother Judah, from which the Messiah comes. A known man in a field. Scripture doesn't name him, probably because... They don't want any credit going to this. This is obviously God is doing something. Coincidence. It's a Monday night, and I am home babysitting our children. At this point, we had three children. Three under three, which is at least one too many. Um, but I'm babysitting, and... I wanted to be a scholar, and so I was just finishing up a graduate program in New Testament, and I had gotten that day an application for a PhD program that I wanted to do in New Testament ethics. I'm also watching a football game, multitasking, <laughs> and then I don't know why, but that's just what you do. I changed the channel during a commercial. Coincidence? How I got to the channel I went to, I'm not sure, but it was somebody I knew. And I thought she was singing, I thought I'd wait for her to finish singing. Then I'd go back to the game, back to my work. She finished singing, and I was on that channel for maybe 60 seconds. It just happened to be a World Vision special. You know the kind they play in the middle of the night and where people can call in and sponsor a child? I watched it, not more than 60 seconds, but I felt the Spirit talk to me. This is what I want you to do with your life. Made no sense. None. I had no experience. I'd never thought about it. I knew how to work with my own kids. No clue about anybody else's. 
And I said to Myrna, she came home, and I said, you know, I, I had this spiritual experience where I know the Lord's going to change our lives, but it makes no sense. So maybe best if we keep it to ourselves until we can make sense out of this. I thought about maybe calling World Vision and volunteering, but I had nothing to offer. What was I going to say? I like, I'm touched by what you're doing, but I don't have a clue how to do it. I don't know anything about it. So we just prayed. I'd go to church Sunday morning, and I'd stay at the altar till Sunday night. Some of my friends would stay with me. They had no idea. They probably thought I had sin in my life and I was trying to work things out. <laughs> Three weeks went by, and it just happened. The director of the mission for Central America called me. We happened to be friends. And he said, Doug, I'm in town. Do you want to have lunch? I said, great, let's have lunch. I never put anything together. We had lunch. We're done. And he said, Doug, you're not interested, I'm sure. But maybe. He said, you know, we have six schools among the poor in El Salvador, and we should have our own program. Would you be interested in doing a program, inventing a program? I said, I don't even have to pray about it. Out of that came Latin America Child Care. Just being faithful. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. Um, Remember, we carried around our, the entire program in a little recipe box. And then we just watched as the Lord helped it blossom. Go to one school. And of course, all of our schools, we had to have churches, so we were planting churches like everything. And we just watched it grow and grow until 100,000 kids would come to school every day. And hear the good news of the gospel. Get an education. It'll take them out of the horrible situation in which they are living. Let me go back to the story with my parents. My dad passed away. We were living in Central America, and so Myrna and I caught a flight home to Canada. After the funeral, we went to our house, and we were leaving right away. We were just able to stay that one day. And sitting in the living room with my mother, and she says, Dad's gone. I need to tell you a story before the Lord takes me home. You need to know this story. I've never told it to you. Said, shortly after we found the Lord, I had a vision. You'd have to know my mother, she didn't have visions, ever. <laughs> Said, I had a vision. And 
in this vision, I saw all these little, my brother, my mother's words, little brown kids. They filled our entire street up to the porch, up to the door. And she said, I thought the Lord was calling us to be missionaries. I just, no chance, mother. She called this, this pastor. He came out, talked to her. He knew that the Lord wasn't calling my parents to be missionaries. But he was gracious and prayed with them. A little while later, mother has it again. She calls the pastor. He comes out, prays with them. And then my dad has it. They call the pastor. He comes the third time. And he said to my mother, do you know the story of Abraham and Isaac? Mother said, no, she, she didn't. He told her the story. He said, I know what, the, what your vision's about. Take your son, place him on the altar, and he will fulfill this vision. She said, I never told you this story. This is 40 years later. And at this point, we've got 65,000 kids. She said, I never told you this story because we didn't want to seem like we were trying to make something happen. But you need to know that one before I go to heaven. You know, we have experienced so many wonderful things, and I could tell you stories forever, but the truth is, in between those stories, there's a lot of other things happening. Things that one doesn't understand. Pain. And God is silent. So many times he's intervened with something miraculous. And now when it seems like you need him the most, he's not there. He's silent. It, we can't get our heads around that. Read the 12th chapter of Acts, first few verses. Herod arrests James and murdered him with the sword. He then arrests Peter, and Peter is released on a jailbreak in the middle of the night. Make any sense out of that. Why Peter, not James? God is sovereign. There are times for all of us, whether we're rich or poor, man, woman, or child, when we are reduced to a common denominator and we find ourselves overcome with something that hits us we have no idea how to deal with and God is silent. Life has so many wonderful things, but there's any number of ways where it can go wrong. In my last story, I asked the pastor how long I, could, I should preach, and he said, well, if the music starts coming up, 
time to quit. We're on the way back from my dad's funeral. And we, the plane stopped over in Southern California. Myrna was on her way back to Central America, which is where our family was. And I was going to teach one of these intensives at the university. So I think it was like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So I catch the flight when I'm done. And arrive home, Myrna said, I got to tell you a story. She said, either this person is a kook or it's from the Lord. I have no idea which. She tells me this story. She said, I'm sitting in the airport lounge in Southern California. There's a man sitting in front of me, across from me, nicely dressed. He opens his briefcase, takes out an apple. And he gives me this look, and she said, I, I'm uncomfortable. And he says, would you like an apple? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm fine. Some time goes by, and he asks, where are you going? What do you do? Myrna was anxious to tell him, we're missionaries. She figured that would just, he'd take off. He said, well, I need to tell you something. I'm a Catholic. Last Sunday, in Mass, I had a vision. And it was all these little children in Latin America. And he said, now I'm talking to you, and it just seems unusual. Myrna thought, well, that's good, but it's not that good. He said, can I come and visit? Everybody says they want to come visit, they never do. So Myrna said, well, yeah, you could call my husband, and um, if you would like to come, he said, well, you mind if I call my travel agent? And, oh, my goodness. He does no answer, thank the Lord. Um, she comes home to Costa Rica. She tells me this story. This guy, I just, I don't know, crazy or something the Lord's doing. The phone rings. And she brings me the phone. She's got her hand over it. And she says, it's the man. <laughs> so I, I talked to the guy. And he says, your wife tell you about our conversation? And I said, yes, yeah, she did. He said, well, I'd like to come. I said, well, that'd be great. When? He said, I, I, I'll come on Saturday. I said, how long can you stay? He said, I have to go back on Sunday. I said, there's, there's nothing to see. On the weekend, everything's closed. So that's fine. So I said, great. I gave him the address of a hotel. Usually, we'd bring guests home. But I thought, you read about these kind of people in the newspaper. And we didn't want to be a story in the newspaper. Man kills family. So I had him go to a hotel and said, I'll pick you up in the morning and take you to the church. After church, we'll have lunch. And on the way to the airport, I'll drive you by an empty school. Great. 
I said, have you ever been in a Pentecostal church before? He said, well, not really. He said, I, I've been in like a Bible study, I think. And I'm thinking, what is he going to think? At this point, our church wasn't this large, but it was pretty large. And easily as noisy. People jumping up and down. And I'm thinking, what is this guy going to think? We pick him up, we go to church, and it's a typical Sunday morning. We go to lunch, and we just talk. I haven't got a clue why this guy's here. I said, okay, I'll drive you by the school on the way to the airport. I take him to the school. He gets out ahead of me. He goes into the classroom. Myrna's not feeling well, so she stayed in the van. And I come up behind him, and he's just weeping. I thought, oh, my goodness. He said, did your wife tell you about the vision I had? I said, yeah. He said, well, here's the thing. It wasn't appropriate for me to tell her this part. But why I'm here is she was the woman in the vision. I recognized her. That's why I've come. Um, I thought, well, maybe he's going to give me a million dollars. Um, <laughs> he said, do you need anything? I said, no, we're, we're good. We drive to the airport, and um, I take him in to where he can board the plane. And he said, are you sure you don't need anything? No. So what about your wife? I said, well, she's not feeling well today, but it's just today. She's fine. So as he's going down the boarding gate, he stops, and he says to me, here's why I've come. I've come to bring you a message. His grace is sufficient for you. He gets on the plane. I never saw him again. But Myrna's sickness was not for one day. Got worse and worse and worse. Her nervous system, which was, didn't make any sense. She couldn't get out of bed. Couldn't make meals. Our kids looked after themselves. I canceled most of my stuff. She'd say, Dad, you just need to Act like I'm not here. Talking about month after month. At least two years. No answer. If we could have prayed our way through this, we'd have had it solved. We couldn't pray our way through. God was silent. But what we had was this man who made a trip from Washington, D.C., San Jose, where we lived in Central America, with that one message, I've come to tell you his grace is sufficient. <laughs> Things got so bad, the doctors thought, well, maybe Myrna needs to see a psychologist, which 
didn't seem like the case, but we're desperate. She goes to the psychologist, and of course, whatever psychologists do, you write letters to everybody. And, um, but a few sessions went by, and I think it was a woman. She said to Myrna, this is not your problem. There's something physically wrong with you. You need to go and find out what that is, because it's not this. Our family, just with that, was delighted, just knowing their mother wasn't going crazy. Um, turned out, long and short, Myrna had contracted a disease called brucellosis. It's a cattle disease, and it attacks your nervous system. And then it, it can be fatal. Only cattle get it, hardly ever people. How they handle cattle is they throw them in a pit and burn them. We knew that wasn't an alternative. <laughs> they treated it like tuberculosis. And it, we could see a light at the end of the rainbow. Months and months. And I would often think, do you know how much easier it would have been for the Lord to just never let it happen or heal her? instead of sending a person down with a message. I have no idea. I have to wait till we get to heaven. Our family did become more tender, but surely the Lord had an easier way to do this. Sometimes we just can't figure it out. Life has so many opportunities for joy but there are untold ways in which it can go wrong. None of us are exempt. We come to a time when we're confronted with questions we can't answer. Called to live with choices we never made. We're pulled out of the crowd like Simon of Cyrene. No notice, forced to carry a cross that is not ours. And we come face to face with that open wound that we cannot understand. What to do? Well, there's two options. God will deliver you or God will not deliver you. And if he's nothing, nothing happens, you have no choice but to run into the arms of the Savior and say your grace is sufficient. Our circumstances, regardless whether or not we can understand them, have nothing to do with the unchangeableness of God and his grace. He is always at work. His sovereignty extends over every circumstance. Our response needs to be, how can we not praise the one who bought us by his blood? Amen. Nothing can separate us. 
the worship band, and if you would come, they sang this song about God's promises never fail. Whether you sense it or not, and God always keeps his promises. A prayer. And then a time, perhaps at the altar. This is a prayer. I never use this author in the pulpit. He's a philosopher from Denmark. Soren Kierkegaard. As soon as you hear that, people just go into a coma. Um, but here's the prayer. Father in heaven, you have loved us first. Help us never to forget you loved us so that the conviction might triumph in our hearts over the seduction of the world, over the inquietude of the soul, over the anxiety of the future, over the fright of the past, the distress of the moment. You have loved us first. We speak in terms as though you have loved us first just once. But Lord, you have loved us first at dawn. When we wake up, you are there first. When we go to sleep, you are already there ahead of us. You have loved us first. When we withdraw from the distractions of the day and turn our soul towards you, you are the first, and thus forever. And yet, we speak as if you have loved us first, only once. He has loved us first. I don't know what your situation is. You may have come in tonight, and you're happy as can be. Put some of this in the bank, because you'll need it later. But others, you just feel like your life is... You love the Lord, but... Stuff's happening, you just can't get a handle on it. You know, you can fix stuff at the altar faster than any other place. And I look over this crowd as I've been speaking. Most of you are like 50 years younger than me. But what that means is you have your options in front of you. You can choose what you're going to do with your life. And you can say to the Lord, I have no idea what it is you want me to do, but here, I give you first choice. If you want me in the ministry, first choice. Want me in business, first choice. Want me to be a scholar, first choice. If you want me to be whatever, I give you first choice. Stand with me. And I want to encourage you, whatever your situation is, you've experienced the, the exciting moments of where God's done something. We all have a story. You understand about how God takes something and turns it into something that is beyond comprehension. But all of us understand what it is to hit the wall. Let's worship together. I ask the worship 
band to sing. And come on out of your seats, if you would. We all can't get around the altar, but a lot of us can. And let's spend some time in the presence of the Lord. Let him do something marvelous in your life in a moment. so blessed by Professor Dow Peterson. Let's just give him a big hand. Thank you, Prof. How many of you want him to come back again and again and again? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Prof, you know, the amazing thing here is this. Um, this is the first time since the pandemic started, we invited a guest speaker to come. And this is the first time you have preached since the pandemic started. In yeah, the my wife says this is probably not the place to get back in the group. <laughs> Amen. So we really appreciate you. We love you. We want to come back again I and do. again and again. Wonderful. God bless all of you. Amen. How many of you felt the anointing about the presence of God? God can use ordinary situations. God is able to bring about divine coincidence. Sometimes we hit the wall. Maybe some of you have hit the wall. But we just keep on trusting. Keep on trusting. How many of you have, you felt that your life had just hit a situation, but you're going to keep on trusting the Lord, put up your hands. Tonight, I don't know about you, but I want the man of God to say a prayer for me. I want the man of God to just pray that God's grace will be sufficient. If that's you, you hit a wall. Just come, come to the front right now as we sing. Just come, just come and stand all the way over here. Come on, just come, come. Let's give all these people a big clap as they come right now. Just come, 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 come. You hit a wall in your relationship. You hit a wall in your business. You hit a wall in your walk with the Lord. Just come, come, come. With me, what can separate us? You are for me. What can stand just come, just against come us? Your love, it won't let go. I know it won't. Darkness, shadows have no power over me. Fear is empty. Shame has no authority. Your love, it won't let go. 
promises are true forever. Lord, I will trust in you. Just lift up your hands. Come on, church, everybody in this place. Just begin to press into the Lord. Suduria la carabaha, deria la carabaha, deria la carabaha, deria la carabaha, deria la carabaha. We're not in a hurry tonight. We're standing before the presence of the Lord. We are here to reach out to Him. We are here to cry out to Him. We are here to tell the Lord that we love you. We love you, Lord. We will have faith in you. We will believe. We will trust in your goodness. We will trust in your word. We will trust in your promises. Your grace is sufficient for us every single day. Come on, church, just close your eyes. Just begin to reach out to Him. Those of you online, just reach out to the Lord.
never fails that regardless of our situation you are always trustworthy and true Lord help us to be faithful in the most littlest things recognizing that we don't make any of these ordinary moments happen we're ordinary people but the only way you have to accomplish your plan through people like us and you take these daily things that happen in our life where you use us half the time we don't even know it we have the power Lord to tip the world upside down by being ordinary and trusting Lord I pray your blessings upon us, upon every young person. Lord, that you would open the doors and close the doors, but do something wonderful with their life. So as the years go by, they can stand and say, I remember a night when the Lord spoke to me. I don't even remember what it was about. I remember the Lord spoke to me and something happened. We commit ourselves to you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by the message. If you have a testimony to share, write to us at connect at chc.org.sg.